Lord, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts find acceptance in your sight. For you are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. There is an expression, an old expression perhaps, that I grew up hearing all the time when I was younger uh, in Mississippi. I heard it from all quarters of that layered society, from the rich, the poor, the black, the white, the young, the old, people who lived in the country and people who lived in town. It's an expression I haven't heard recently, uh, so far as I can recall. And the expression is, much obliged. Much obliged. If that is an expression that is passing from the vernacular, I hope that we can retain something of its sentiment because in many different ways, regardless of our circumstances in life, regardless of who we are, we are much obliged to other persons who because of their lives, their witness, their words, their actions, their deeds, have somehow blessed us and shaped us into the people and into the congregation, into the community, the state, and the nation of which we are a part. But I'm not sure a lot of younger people know what is meant by much obliged. Perhaps they do. I was talking to a younger man a few years ago, and we were talking about this expression. Actually, this young man was uh, my younger son at the time, but he was only about 15. And I said, "Uh, David, um, have you ever heard the expression much obliged? And he said, yeah, do you know what it means? He said, yeah, I I think I do. He said, I think that's the way you older people thank someone. (laughs) Well, he wasn't far off. Uh, There is an element of appreciation and gratitude in the expression, much obliged, but there's something deeper in that as well. To be obliged to someone means not simply being thankful for them. That's certainly appropriate. But it means being obligated to them. It means that you're in debt to them for something they have done that has benefited you. Now this expression, much obliged, I think needs to be on the lips and in the hearts of the people of God. Because, and not just on this All Saints Sunday, when we recognize our obligations to those we have loved and lost in the past year who have shaped us and those and the lives of those about us but we have a goodly heritage and there are many people who have been a part of our life and we may not even know what they did or uh, remember their names perhaps but we are indebted to them a lot of people just think saints are somehow super Christians they are the Christians whose names adorn churches or institutions are their images are reflected in stained glass windows in some, in some place. But saints include all manner of ordinary women and men who serve the gospel, who give their lives in obedience to God, trying to improve the lives of other people. And so we should remember these not only on this All Saints Sunday, but as often and as in many ways as we can because their labors and their love have had an impact on our lives. Many of you know that one of my rather weird avocations and hobbies is collecting epitaphs from old tombstones. Most uh, cemeteries today don't have epitaphs. They all have a birth and a, a death date, a dash in between, but don't say much more than that. But the older cemeteries, 
By the way, do you know the difference between a graveyard and a cemetery? I didn't know this till I got to Charleston. But a, a graveyard is always attached to a church. A cemetery can be a standalone uh, facility. We have a graveyard at this church. And it was my pleasure a few weeks back to go over behind the historical museum and get a key and go in and walk through the beautiful treasure of a graveyard there with wonderful monuments and tributes to people who have been a part of the life of this community and a part of the life of this church for many, many years. And there are wonderful monuments over there. And I saw names that uh, I was familiar with because of the history of this area or the history of the church. I ran across monuments and tributes to people with names like Moorhead, Paisley, Gilmer, Porter, McKeever, Mebbin, Lindsay, and a lot of others. Not all of them were governors or mayors or doctors or lawyers or teachers or elders in the church, but many of them were. And still others contributed their time and talents and energies to the work of the community and the work of the church. But they may have been out of the limelight in doing so. But they are remembered as well by those who knew and loved them. I found one tribute to a soldier named Clement Wright who died in 1865, in March of 1865. And these poignant words appear on his tombstone. God calls our loved ones, but we lose not wholly what he has given. They live on earth in thoughts and deeds as truly as in heaven. And so they do. They continue to live on in our lives and in our memories. In her wonderful book, Middlemarch, George Eliot, whose actual name was Marianne Evans, speaks eloquently of how the lives of humble and unknown people often affects our lives for the better. And she wrote this, For the growing good of the world is partly dependent on unhistoric acts, and that, bring, and, and that all things are not so ill with you and with me as they might have been is half owing to the number who lived faithful and hidden lives and rest in unvisited tombs. So it is. Well, I wonder, do you feel this sense of debt or obligation to people who have gone before you in your life, who have shaped you in some way, a teacher, a Sunday school worker, a coach, a neighbor, someone in your own family? Paul says that he considers himself a debtor, a debtor to so many people who have been a part of his ministry. He says he feels under an obligation to these people who in the past who have shaped him, but also he feels an obligation to those who are coming after him because he has been commissioned an apostle to the Gentiles and he feels compelled to share the gospel with Greeks and barbarians and with all who will hear and receive the gospel. So he has this profound sense of obligation, a debt he owes to other people. I can identify with that because I can assure you part of the reason I'm sure that I went into the ministry was in an effort to kind of salve my conscience and to repay the debt of so many wonderful people in the little church I grew up in who supported me and supported my family in times of trial and crisis in particular. Bishop Gerald Kennedy of the United Methodist Church told a story one time about uh, a meeting that would be held annually in the 
General Assembly or the General Council of the United Methodist Church when they would ordain young women and men who were going into the ministry. And he said they're required to answer a series of questions that have been handed down almost intact from the days of John Wesley. And one of these questions is as follows. Are you so in debt as to embarrass you in your work? Think about that. Are you so in debt as to embarrass you in your work? Bishop Kennedy says he'd never heard anyone answer yes to that question and doesn't know what the church would do if someone did answer yes. But he suspected that it wasn't a matter of owing little money so much as it was just hard to embarrass some people. I can identify with that. I'm glad they didn't ask me that when I was ordained to be a minister. They asked enough tough questions, one being, will you serve the people with intelligence and imagination? Now, that seems a bit presumptuous to say yes. I'll share my intelligence and imagination with other people. But I'm glad they didn't ask me if I was so in debt as to embarrass me in my work because if I'd been honest, I would have had to say yes. And it wouldn't be just a financial debt, although there were college and seminary loans that had to be repaid, but just a debt to those people who had influenced and encouraged me when it came to my own faith and to my own calling. Countless people we owe a debt of gratitude to. J.B. Phillips, in his translation, his paraphrase of the New Testament, gets to verse 14, and he says, I feel under a universal obligation to all people. That is how he interpreted verse 14 in our chapter for today. And I think of people I owe a debt of gratitude, an obligation to. You can probably imagine people in your own lives Mildred Lacey was my fifth grade Sunday school teacher. And I've told this story to one small group, but uh, she required memory work of us each week. And she would call me on Saturday, either Saturday afternoons, Saturday evening, when I was more interested in baseball or football. And she would say, now, Danny Massey, I expect you to know your memory work. I don't care if the other kids in class know it or not, but I expect you to be a leader and you to know your memory work. And I want you to know, I knew my memory work when I got to Ms. Lacey's fifth grade class the next day. What I didn't come to learn until much later is that she was also calling Walter and Tal and Billy and Sharon and Kathy. She was probably telling them, I don't care if that Massey boy knows his or not, I want you to know yours. But how do I thank a person like Mildred Lacey? Or I think of this odd man in my hometown by the name of Billy Willie Harold. He was supposed to be a rather unscrupulous business person. They say he got his start um, by taking, without permission, some equipment and some uh, vehicles after World War II and selling them. He eventually became a Chevrolet dealer. He was a member of my church, and uh, he would come in after the church had started, before the sermon, he would listen to the sermon. He would get up and follow the preacher out when he did the benediction from the back of the church. He didn't stay around and speak to anybody. We didn't circulate in the same circles. He was a wealthy person, and I didn't know that he knew me from Adam. But when I was a sophomore in college, I didn't have the funds to go back to school second semester of my sophomore year. And the dean called me in one time and said, you don't have to worry about it. Your tuition's been covered. Long after Billy Willie had died, I learned that he was the anonymous benefactor that had paid for me to continue in school. How do I repay a man like Billy Willie Harrell, who's gone to glory many years ago? Or Sally Shepard Perkins, I don't even know who she was, but 
Because of the life she lived, her family established a fellowship for her at Union Seminary, and I received it that enabled me to go and study in Scotland one year. All in thanks to Sally Shepherd Perkins and whoever she was and whatever kind of life she lived. And you can think of people in your life that have blessed and benefited you. How do you retire that debt? Do you feel a sense of obligation to them? Well, I'll tell you how you repay that debt. You repay the past by serving the future. You repay the past by serving like you were served in your formative years. You will remember people who shared the gospel with you, people who taught you to know and love things of eternal dimensions. The only way to retire that kind of debt, especially for those who've passed, is to pay it forward, to give your time and energies and resources to try to influence the coming generation. This is what Paul thought, at least, because he voices in this scripture that not only does he long to visit the Roman Christians, he had promised that he would come and visit them, but he had been delayed for several different reasons. He's looking forward at last to come among them so that mutually they can benefit from each other's faith and convictions. But he says he's not only obligated to them or in debt to them because of what they have been and done, but he's indebted to all of those who will hear the gospel in the future, barbarian and Greek. And having been commissioned as the apostle to the Gentiles, he feels compelled to share the gospel with these people, people perhaps yet unborn at his own time. That was Paul's approach. And I think that should be our approach. If we sense this obligation, this debt we owe to other people, then that ought to influence how we live and serve in the present to benefit those who will come along after us. That's my hope and prayer. And on today, when we listen to the names of those we have known and loved and lost for a while in the past year, let us not be unaware of that cloud of witnesses who surround our lives and our church. And because of who they were and what they did and what they said, we have been given so much. A free land in which to live, we'll honor our veterans next week. Teachers who shared the gospel with us, ministers who may have influenced us, coaches, neighbors, others who encouraged us, befriended us, especially in times that were a challenge for us. In a church as old as ours, and we'll soon celebrate our bicentennial, and have a lengthy heritage, how could we not be conscious and grateful for all of those people, some of whom are in that cemetery over there, that have made such a difference in the place where we live and in the place where we worship. We dare not take their labors nor their love for granted because our lives are brighter and better because of what they did. We remain, my friends, in debt to them. To them, we are much obliged. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.